everybody. Welcome to Wednesdays Together. I'm so grateful you've been able to take time out of your week to worship with us. It's one of my favorite times of the week because we get to join together and dig deeper in God's Word, spend some time in worship together. What a blessing. And speaking of worshiping together, thank you to each one of you participating in our prayer and fasting right now. We are so grateful to see what God is about to do. And I'm grateful that we have a group of people we can join together in prayer to believe for our nation, for our church, for our world. So thank you for partnering with that. I told you last week about the Starbucks red cup controversy, if you remember that. But I'm wondering if any of you have ever heard about the Christian Costco boycott brouhaha. <laughs> uh, it all started when Caleb Kaltenbach went to Costco to purchase a gift for his wife. He was searching for a Bible to buy for his wife, and he was surprised when he found them located in their fiction section. So he shared a tweet that seemed innocent enough. He, he just basically tweeted that, I didn't realize the Bible was fiction. And his tweet went viral. Uh, and so did a call for a boycott of Costco. Headlines shared that Costco considered the Bible to be fake and fiction. Um, and it was just this huge ordeal, this big thing that just snowballed overnight. Nobody ever stopped long enough to discover if this was simply a labeling mistake. It was, by the way, a labeling mistake. In fact, the CEO of Costco is a devout Catholic and he apologized profusely. Actually, Caleb Kaltenbach, he wasn't even outraged when he tweeted. He just thought it was, you know, just funny, just interesting. Um, and he assumed it was a mistake. When he was interviewed, he even said he didn't think that Costco did it intentionally, but it didn't matter. In the heat of the matter, he said, no, I don't think it's intentional, but it didn't matter what he said because it was already too late. The outrage train had already left that station and Costco was now going to pay. And of course, this is an example of how cancel culture works in our society right now. Many times outrage is unjustified, but it doesn't matter because that's how people do business these days. Now, there's a really interesting twist to this story that I just got to share with you. Caleb Kaltenbach, he navigated this wave of outrage extremely well, and he did so because he has a lot of experience navigating the minefields of outrage. You see, Caleb, he was raised by two moms, and then he met Jesus, and his entire worldview changed. His parents eventually disowned him, and he eventually went on to become a pastor. He also even wrote a book entitled Messy Grace uh, about how to build true, how to be true to biblical teachings while loving people who don't hold to those same teachings. And throughout his life in ministry, Caleb learned the power of speaking the truth in love. He learned that Christians can't be on the world's cultural warpath. Because of his commitment to both God's word and God's love for others, both of the women who raised him now follow Jesus. 
What a powerful testimony that is. Folks, I am telling you, we can win spiritual battles when we war in spiritual ways. But we've got to guard our hearts and our spirits, and we must be discerning of matters around us. We must, we absolutely must take our role as ambassadors of Jesus Christ so very seriously. We simply can't get caught up in things that will bring reproach to Jesus or to the name of Jesus. You know, in the New Living Translation, 1 Timothy 4, 7 tells us, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Folks, if it didn't take dedication, if it didn't take commitment, we wouldn't have to train ourselves, right? This series that we're embarking on right now is entitled Christians at Our Best. And it's speaking specifically to, to what we are called to be and to do as believers, especially during this volatile, polarizing context in which we live right now. We started this series by talking about whose kingdom we're fighting for. We spoke about rights versus responsibility, versus responsibilities, and the importance of worldview in shaping all we say and do. And tonight, we're going to talk more about how to reclaim a godly worldview. We've talked about the importance of knowing how to fight, and we'll talk more about that throughout this series for sure. But it's also critical to know what to fight for. And here's, here's the thing. Here's why worldview is important. We can't know what to fight for until we know what our worldview is, the foundation upon which we base all our decisions and actions. It's the lens through which we view the world. And so tonight's message will be about reclaiming our world view. Now, here's what I want you to hear from the very outset of tonight's message. I am not saying that we should not fight. I'm saying, as we've discussed in the past couple of weeks, that when we do battle, we must do battle in the spirit and not in the flesh. And when we do battle, it had better be for things that matter. It had better be for things of eternal consequence, things that matter in God's kingdom. Folks, there are many, many problems in this world that should capture the attention of believers, problems that we absolutely must stand up and battle against. Human trafficking, abortion, systemic racism, child poverty, terrorism, political corruption, opioid addiction. These are all worthy causes that every Christian should stand up against. But please, please hear me. It matters how we fight. If we fight the way the world fights, then we are not showing the light of Christ. We're just defending our own preferences. We're just defending our own customs or traditions. But when we fight for God's causes in God's way, we are being the salt and the light he's called us to be. Matthew 7 verses 13 through 16 tell us, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? 
It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, last week we focused on the importance of worldview in shaping how we live. And if we want to be salt and light, we absolutely must have a godly worldview. That means we must understand how to fight the influences that seek to negatively shape our worldview and pull us away from God. We talked a little bit last week about how the entertainment industry wants to do everything it can to disciple us. You're being discipled. Somebody, something, some system is discipling you right now. It just, it just determines, it's just to be determined who we are giving the power to do that, right? And so the, the, in, the entertainment industry, they're seeking very hard to win our affection, to disciple us. Think about how, I don't know, not, not that many years ago, binging on something used to be considered a bad thing. Now it's the norm to binge on shows or media. You know, Hollywood sucks us in and it does not want to let us go or lose our attention. In 1978, Richard Foster wrote a book that would become a bestseller still today entitled A, Cele a Celebration of Discipline. And he was so in tune with things that pull away our spiritual man from the pursuit of God. In this book, he shares superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. In our day and age, even more so than when that was written, instant satisfaction has absolutely become an idol. And media plays such a huge part in that. Christians need to consider how our media habits are discipling us and shaping our thinking and our engagement with the world in ways we don't even realize. Now, more than ever, we must turn down the volume of the influence of the world and turn up the volume of godly influences. Is there anybody listening to this tonight who believes that, who will commit with me to say, God, right now, I want to surrender the things in my life that are ungodly and those influences, and I want to surrender them to you. Why don't we just give that to him right now? God, we surrender our souls and our spirits to you right now. Renew our minds. Help us to receive all that this message is calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. We are called to put off the old man. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 tell us, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You know, we often wish we had a new trendy way to help accomplish this, right? To, to die daily, to be transformed. Just like a fad diet, right? If there were some that 
keto Christianity that we can hop on, right? Uh, a fad spirituality to help us die daily. Hey, for my keto folks, rock on. You're doing great. I'm not mocking that. I'm just saying we wish that there was something that could help us get hold of these things that we struggled with for years in kind of a quick way and get us on the right track, right? Um, and, and since we're talking about diets, um, I've heard it said before that you know diets are pretty rough because they have the word die in them, right? <laughs> and so folks, it's the same thing with putting off the old man. We must die daily. There is absolutely no way to be a, a living sacrifice that comes easily, okay? It just comes from surrender and consecration. Jeremiah 6, 16 tells us this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. Folks, that, and that is the crossroads that we stand. That, that, is, that is the crossroads where we stand. Why? Because in our flesh, we, we don't want that path of consecration or dedication. Think about the first time you committed your life to God. If there were anything he asked of you, you would have said yes. You did say yes. You said, God, I'll give it to you. God, I'll go. God, I'll do. God, I'll be. And so many, many of us, scripture is calling us back to return to our first love. And we preach this over and over and over that spiritual disciplines are the key to walking in close connection with God. They're the key to walking in his power. They're the key to possessing the promises of God. And they are the key to walking in a gospel world view. And there are three of these spiritual disciplines that we talk about quite often for very good reason. The first is scripture. It's the word of God. Why do we talk about this? Because the word of God reorients us and it positively shapes us. It positively forms our identity. It allows us to walk into the destiny in which God has called us. We also focus on the spiritual discipline of prayer. We should always pray. We should always pray. Even if you're not leaving the house that day, always pray to connect with the Lord, to fight against the pull of the flesh, that we can stay connected to him, that we can know that we are walking in what he's called us to. But definitely pray before you engage in the world. Why? Because we need God to lead us down the right path. We need God to show us the way that we should walk when we are dealing with other people and when we come in contact with the systems of our world. And the third we talk about, it's fasting. Why is fasting important? Because fasting requires taking something away. Fasting is actually leading us away from the outrage. Why? Because it kills the flesh. It strengthens the spirit. 
and it focuses us on him and not on the noise. God is doing great things in our church right now during this time of fasting. Why? Because we are consecrating ourselves to him, not because we're twisting God's arm, but because we are aligning with his plan and his purpose. Now, you may be thinking, you may be hearing what I'm saying and thinking, I do all of that already. So I must have a godly worldview, right? Well, here's my response to you. I am so glad to hear that you pray and you fast and you read God's word. And that is the baseline for every believer. Like that is where, that, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we stay connected to the source, right? And I'm sure if we're all honest, every one of us will admit that we could stand to do more of this, right? More praying, more fasting, more studying God's word. But, but here's, here's what I want us to think about in terms of a godly worldview. I'd like to offer a question that will help us test whether we actually do have a godly worldview, okay? My question is, how do you handle challenges and questions of life? How do you handle challenges and questions of life? You see, our worldview, it may not be what we think it is, okay? Have any of you ever had an atheist friend? Anybody? Okay, and so by virtue of uh, definition, atheist, um, if someone says they are an atheist, it means they don't believe in God, period. Case closed, end of story, right? Um, and so maybe you have this atheist friend who made it very clear to you that he or she does not believe in God. But then maybe an emergency <laughs> happened, right? Something rose up and this person found himself or herself in a desperate place. And that same friend comes to you and asks you to pray for their situation. Now, that's, that's a big lesson in worldview, right? Why? Because that action tells you that your friend, your friend who considers himself or herself an atheist, really does not believe what he or she thinks he or she believes, right? If they're willing to call on the name of the Lord in their time of trouble, then that means that that person probably is open to the fact that there is a God, okay? And they see God working in your life, so they're not drawn just to the concept of any God. They're drawn to your God, to Jehovah God, the one true real God. And so what does this teach us about worldview for Christians? Well, folks, it's the exact same way for us. We may think that our worldview is Christian, but when trouble, when pressure, when stress, when calamity comes our way, how do we respond? Do we walk in a way that is true to what we think we believe, or do we walk in a different way? And Philip Ryken says it this way, he says, the way people respond reveals their worldview. He says, ideas have consequences. Even ordinary interactions reflect our commitments and our convictions. Whenever we bump into the world, our worldview has a way of spilling out. It comes out when we think and love. It comes out in what we say and do. It comes out in what we praise and what we choose. 
Scripture calls us to set our minds on things above. Colossians 3 and 2. That, that's, a, that's a powerful pull for every believer. And it also calls us to be shaped into the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, when we do this, our worldview will be gospel-shaped and mission-driven. So we must pursue spiritual disciplines and fight against the influences of the world. And more than just removing the voices of outrage in our lives, believe you me, we've got to do that, right? Um, but you can't just say, okay, I've, tur I've turned off all the negative. I'm good. No, more than just removing the negative, we must replace the voices of outrage with voices that are mature in their faith and voices that are devoted to building God's kingdom. In Setzer's book, he gives four categories of voices that we should be seeking out in our lives. We must be intentional in filling our minds and our spirits with gospel-tempered voices. And what does that mean? That means we should be seeking out influences whose thinking and behavior have been refined by the gospel. And so here's what we need to be building up within us in order to have a godly worldview. Number one, we need to be building up the cultural, the cultural worldview within us, okay? That's understanding the world, challenging us to see and engage the world in ways that are in line with the gospel. We don't have to be afraid of the world. We just need to look for ways to positively engage with the world and to positively connect the world with the gospel message. Number two, pastoral. We need to find ways that point us, find voices that are pointing us to God's grace, encouraging us to respond in a godly manner to trials and challenges in our spiritual walks. The third one he mentions is theological theological voices. We need voices to help us understand God's word, equipping us to deepen our knowledge of God and of his word. And then the fourth he shares is local. We need to find a tribe, a group of people that will help us as we journey together in faith, walking with us and our families through seasons of life and discipling us through these times. And I would submit to you folks, that is the local church. That is the sanctuary church. That's where God has called you, rooted you, planted you. If you're a guest viewing tonight, um, it, it's wherever your local home church is, okay? That's where God is. That's where we have our needs met in the context of community. And that's where we are discipled through tough times, especially. As your pastor's we know it's not enough to simply focus on conveying knowledge, okay? Just giving you lessons that will just fill your mind with the Word of God and, and with principles. That's fabulous. We, that's the foundation, right? But we must help the church. We must equip the church to apply that knowledge with wisdom, to live it out, to help you face the struggles and trials of life as they come your way. Ultimately, we must be able to journey with you through whatever you face in life. 
And I'll, I'll tell you, I, I say this a lot because it's so true. It's been so very difficult for us to not be able to see you face to face during this time. But that doesn't mean that we aren't still here for you. Now more than ever, we need the church. We all need the church. I need the church. We need each other and we need to stand united together. And so I'm begging you tonight, please don't let the devil use this time of physical distancing to trick you into thinking that you don't need the church. Folks, I promise you, we need each other. We must fight for one another. We must support each other on this journey, particularly in this season. Why? Because we are in this together and together we can fight to ensure that our worldview is shaped by God and godly influences rather than being shaped by the culture around us. Come on, somebody. You don't have to look to the world. You don't have to look to ungodly relationships to have things filled that should be coming from God and godly influences. Now, I, I feel a little, I feel, I feel a nudge in the spirit right now to say this. And so if it's not for you, that's fine, but it's for somebody. If you are, if you have this emptiness and this void and this loneliness and whatever you're, whatever you're feeling right now, and you are trying to fill that with something that's not of God, with people that are not of God, you're, you're thinking, well, I'm lonely. I'm isolated. You know, okay. So seek out godly people, seek out people to build you up. There's nothing wrong with having your tank filled because I can tell you when we engage with people who, who are not godly and we are called to do that, by the way, we are absolutely called to do that. That doesn't mean I'm not saying that we're not called to do that, but when we're engaging with people who are not living by a godly worldview, we are, we should be pouring out, investing in them, right? But you don't want someone who does not have a godly worldview to be investing in your spirit, man. That's, that's how we wake up one morning and we're far from God and we think we don't need the church and we feel like we're isolated and we feel like it doesn't even matter. And why should I bother being a believer? Why? Because the voices that we allow to be the loudest in our lives, those were not godly voices. I, I feel so strongly in the spirit to warn someone, you need to run for your life right now. You need to cut ties and you need to run for your life. Why? Because Satan is seeking us and he is looking for vulnerabilities. And I'm telling you, there is safety in the house of God. There is safety in the body of Christ. There is safety for you here at the sanctuary. Why don't we thank God for that right now? God, we thank you for the, for the safety that comes in walking with your people. I'm calling the church right now to rise up together and collectively seek a godly world view. You see, when we negatively contribute to this age of outrage, we are telling other people, believers and non-believers, that we don't trust God to take care of our lives and our world, that we got to help them out. That, well, if we get angrier and we get louder and we shout over those people, then maybe they'll listen to us. Because obviously God needs our screaming help in this outrageous time. We may love him enough to say we are Christians, 
But many times I'm afraid we aren't devoted enough to allow his spirit to transform our thoughts and actions. Okay, so said another way, to say that another way, we love the idea of living for God, but we don't love the fact that he calls us to be holy and set apart from the world. What do I mean by that? He calls us to be different, to be consecrated unto him. And if we are consecrated unto him and if we are different, then we will not operate in the same ways that the world operates. It's that simple. It's that simple. You see, we may look the part, we may say all the right things. You can tell me when and where you were baptized and filled with the Spirit, and that's great. That's fabulous. We've got to have that. But if our conversation and our worldview are not holy, then we simply are not living a consecrated life. If we are still ruled by the flesh, then we're fighting with the flesh. We're fighting flesh and blood. And that's why Christians are outraged right now. Why? Because they're warring in the flesh. They're warring in their own selves because they are not renewing their minds and they're not living a sanctified life. If we've got the same addictions, if we engage in the same political tactics, if we have the same fears and anxieties and frustrations of our heart that we don't surrender to God, because we'll have those things, we're human, but if we don't surrender those to God and allow him to redeem that, then we are demonstrating that our worldview is not based on the gospel, but our worldview is in fact from the world. That instead of being transformed, we are doing this all in our own might, we are listening to all these other influences, and we are being conformed to the world. I'm calling us tonight to be transformed by the power of the Spirit. And I want to close with this verse that's very familiar. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray right now. Dear God, your spirit is so strong in this place. Your spirit is moving, your goodness, your grace, your mercy. And so we humble ourselves right now. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto you, God. We repent. We repent of harmful influences. We repent of allowing negative influences to pull us away from your path, to shape our worldview in ways that are not godly. Lord, we repent of that and we surrender those tendencies to you. God, you see that we are flesh and you see that we stumble and we have weaknesses. But Lord, we're tired of being conformed and we want you right now to renew our minds and our spirits, to transform us. We need your spirit to work on our hearts. We trust you to shape our worldview so that we will see life through your eyes. We want to be Christians in word, in deed, in worldview, in every which way we can live, God. We want to be believers in you and your goodness. And we will give you the praise. We will give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. 
Thank you for continuing to be part of our prayer and fasting. We've got one more day on Thursday. We love you. Thank you. Have a great week. God bless you.